we're making a big ask of these kids to trust us to teach them a different way to communicate. And I think that we need to make sure that they're comfortable with us first. And then another thing I think that really gets overlooked is we need to let them lead. We need to do something that's fun for them, make our activities. So if we're modeling on things that they're doing, we need to make sure they're not boring. We need to make sure that the things are fun and that they are things that they would want to communicate about. Hey there, and welcome to the Speechy Side Up podcast. My name is Benita Litvak, and I am so grateful you're here. I'm an ASHA certified speech language pathologist, author, and augmentative and alternative communication consultant who is obsessed with helping SLPs like you stop reinventing the wheel and connect with other SLPs in the trenches. Have you ever wondered how other SLPs seem to be doing it all with ease? Well, around here, you'll get to hear firsthand how SLPs are really getting things done while keeping evidence-based practice and self-care in mind. Think of this as a coffee date with your SLP friends. Get ready to be challenged and encouraged while we learn together. I'm so excited to have this guest back on the podcast. We were just talking that she must have been on the podcast like when we first started over five years ago, came back on again, and we did a group episode together and have had many collaborations in between. So it's truly an honor to have Anne Page back on today. If you're not familiar with her, she is a speech language pathologist who helps those who are struggling to serve non-speaking children to confidently give our kids a true voice through Anne's AAC courses, online membership, group coaching, and digital products, she provides guidance, inspiration, and advocacy for an effective child-centered total communication approach. And thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. It's been a while. I know it has been a while. So where are you working now? Uh, are you still in the same school setting as before? I am. Yep. I am in Phoenix in for working for a school district as their AAC lead. Amazing. Yeah. So you've been there a while now, right? The same I have been setting? here. Yes. I think I started, I want to say I started in 2007. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so That's amazing. Been a while. Great. Well, what got you interested in AAC in the first place? Well, it was when I um, came to this district and I was brand new working in Phoenix and working in Arizona. I had been working in Canada before that. And I had not worked with any AAC before. And the first school that I was assigned to had two functional skills classrooms. And those were the, those classrooms had a lot of non-speaking children. A few of them had devices that they had gotten through uh, Medicaid. And people were like, oh, good, here. The teachers would be like, oh, good, here you know, you can use this. And I had, I was like, I have, I have no idea how to use this. And so then I started, that is kind of a while ago. And so it, it wasn't as easy to find information on AAC. I had to do a lot of digging and it, it took a while. I had to go through a lot of theory and there wasn't a lot of uh, practical resources. And so it was a lot of trial and error and but I just kept going because I kept thinking, oh my, 
gosh, these kids have so much more to say than we are giving them the ability to say. And I just felt like I had to help them. Yeah. And thank goodness, you know, we have you in the AAC arena. Remind me again, what is your relationship with Dr. Carol Zangari? Because I know you have a relationship with her as well. She, I went to grad school online through Nova Southeastern University in Florida. And that was where Dr. Zangari was a professor. Oh, okay. Wonderful. And so I got to meet her. And then I never, I didn't actually get to take a course from her, but she was my main resource and inspiration when I first got started reading her. You know, I would read her blog, Practical AAC, and find so much information. Yeah, that's amazing. So you said you didn't take a course with her. Does that mean the program at the time didn't have a required AAC course or is just taught by somebody else? It was taught by somebody else. And I can't, <clears throat> I honestly can't remember if it was required or not. I took um, everything I could get my hands on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I would have to check back on that. What are the requirements nowadays for grad programs? Do they have to take an AAC course or is it still an elective? I'm not really sure on that. Yeah, that would be interesting to find out because I personally feel like it should be required. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially with the propensity to work with the autistic population, non-speaking individuals, 100% should be required. I agree. Yeah. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges of implementing AAC in classrooms? Unfortunately, there are a lot still. I would say when I first started, it was really difficult just to get a device. And I feel like we've come leaps and bounds. I, I know in some areas, we still have a long way to go, but it seems like AAC devices are more available now, especially with apps, with being able to put AAC apps on iPads and having more robust apps. So that seems to be kind of coming along where we're getting more kids that do have the capability to have AAC and either get it through insurance or get it through the school or, or both. But then it's once they get it, trying to get the support for them has proven to be a challenge. And I know that from talking to people, you know, all across the country and really all across the world that it's, we need, you know this, but we need people to model and, and for our kids to learn how to use AAC, they need to watch someone else using it. And for some reason, people tend to get intimidated by that and try and make it into something so much bigger than it really is. And, and if you add to that, the fact that a lot of teachers are already super stressed out and overworked that it can feel we're adding in one more thing. And so that has been the most difficult thing. I, I mean, I don't think it's insurmountable, but I think it's, it's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate you kind of going back to the basics of AEC in this episode. Both of us have a lot of experience with AEC, but sometimes I tend to find that what I think is very well-known in AAC is not as well-known as I think it is. And I know you like speak to that a lot, especially on your Instagram page. 
Yeah, that's really true. And I'm always like, I'm always taken unawares by someone because I think, oh my gosh, I have said this so many times that I'm sure everybody's so tired of me saying it, but people are new, especially like parents. And if they, they are first experiencing having a child that they think might be non-speaking, then it, this is like a whole new world to them. And so then they're hearing these old myths from people, you know, that are saying things that they heard once and kind of took it as gospel. And then they're, oh no, you have to wait and see. Let's, let's give him another year and see if he starts talking. Or if you give him AAC now, then he's not going to develop his mouth words. So many things like that, that we're still hearing, which is unfortunate. Yeah. No, I like the point that you brought up that you feel like you have said something so many times, but I think it's a systematic issue, especially starting in undergrad and graduate programs, not to say that they don't offer the AAC courses, but I think it's still like where this, there's this prioritization of speech and mouth words where we should really be taking that total communication approach throughout grad school. Hopefully we'll see that start to change. But right, if if a, a student is focusing more on stuttering or dyslexia or articulation and phonology or motor speech disorders and getting AAC as an elective, then there's no, no wonder they're coming out and have the same questions that we think we've been talking about over and over and we think is common knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I do think that now, and I might be getting ahead of myself on answering my question, but I, one thing that I think is really exciting that is kind of coming to the forefront now is more of an acceptance of total communication and understanding that there is, there are so many different ways to communicate and that one is not better than another. So we're not, we are not going for only mouth words. And I especially, I especially see that within the autistic community um, as more and more autistic adults speak out and, and say that, you know, sometimes they speak because they have to, because that they feel like that's what they have to do to be accepted, but that's not natural to them. And it doesn't feel good. And at times it might, but at other times they need the option to be able to use their AAC device or to be able to write. And I think we need to really broaden the way we look at communication and what we accept and and be so much less ableist. Yeah, 100%. Amazing. Well, what is one thing about introducing EAC that you feel people tend to overlook? This is not for parents, but for educators and SLPs. It's that the importance of establishing that connection with the student or the client and building that trust and that you can't really expect to do that in one session. I mean, maybe you can, but we're we're making a big ask of these kids to trust us to teach them a different way to communicate. And I think that we need to make sure that they're comfortable with us first And then another thing I think that really gets overlooked is we need to let them lead. We need to do something that's fun for them, make our activities. So if we're modeling on 
things that they're doing, we need to make sure they're not boring. We need to make sure that the things are fun and that they are things that they would want to communicate about. And sometimes I think we get, you know, we can get so caught up in the tool of like, oh my gosh, they have to learn how to use this or that, oh, we have to make sure they accomplish this goal and learn this many words when that's not really what it's about. We're basically, we're teaching, hopefully authentic, giving them the ability to have authentic communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You just shared a really good reel about hand over hand prompting. Did you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, when I first started, I hate to say it, I did it. I mean, I, I know me too. Prompted, but I, I didn't know any better. And so I, when I make those reels, I'm not shaming people. I'm just saying like, there's a better way now. And so we used to, you know, guide the child's hand to the device and think that we were helping them. It's like, oh, this is what we want them to do. We want them to point at this word. Let me help them make their point. Let me help them get their hand to it. <clears throat> when that's not authentic communication, what we're teaching them is that we know best and this is what you need to do, but there's not any meaning attached to it. And plus, the kids that have multiple disabilities, they're so used to having people do things for them. And we're trying to foster some independence and having them understand that their body is theirs. And so we're kind of breaking that boundary. And so it's just much better to go with modeling where they can see what we're doing and start building that receptive vocabulary and start learning it that way instead of us forcing them. And then they don't, most times they don't really understand. It's like, okay, they want me to point here. I'll do it. So they'll leave me alone. Yeah, exactly. I feel like that's the shortcut that we would take to get the target, right? So if we're targeting a certain word, then, and the client's not touching it independently to take data on that, we use hand over hand prompting. So it's like they did it, but with 100 full prompting. Yeah. Right. But if you, like you were saying, if you do the modeling instead and you don't use hand over hand prompting, reaching that goal might take longer, but once they get it, they get it. And it's like, oh, I can touch this and get that. Wow. This is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then, then that's when the light bulb goes on. Yeah. And I shouldn't say just touch like eye gaze, head pointing, switch scanning, whatever the access method is. Right. And that's. Another part of that too, right? We might be trying to do hand over hand for someone that direct selection just isn't appropriate for, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other topic in and of itself. But yeah, I think if anybody's listening to this and you find that client who isn't doing well with direct selection and they would require hand over hand to even access the device, then you probably should not be looking at direct selection. You should be trialing other access methods. Definitely. So <laughs> I have this one. What AAC question do you get asked most frequently? I think for me, the one I get asked the most frequently is how can I get staff buy-in? I get that. I get asked that by SLPs a lot. And I wish I had an easy answer to that, but I don't. I think it's the same thing. It's like you can't make them do it. So you have to try to build relationships and that takes time. So you have to build relationships with staff and build some trust and then take something 
that looks overwhelming where you're saying, okay, you need to model all day, every day and break it down. And if you can break it down into smaller pieces for them where it's like, okay, how about we, how about we make sure that the device is out and charged every day and that the child has access to it. And I know that sounds so basic, but if, if that is what you have to do to get started, at least it's available for them to um, explore. And then I would say the next step would be, okay, let's have some dedicated time every day where they can explore their device, you know, with without any restrictions. They can just um, explore and babble on it and then and then start choosing activities to model, you know, pick something that's happening every day that's kind of a low-key thing where there's not a lot of behaviors maybe and then you're going to model during that maybe go it's maybe it's when we line up to go to recess or maybe it's circle time or snack time just something that happens every day pick a couple of core words and model them and and then just kind of build on that i love the suggestions that you mentioned like taking those baby steps making sure the backpack's out consistently making sure that it's charged consistently, giving exploration time, and then start targeting those words. I feel like that's very doable. Yeah, yeah. I would say that that's probably the number one question that I see too in different variations and with different caregivers, how to get teacher buy-in, how to get paraprofessional buy-in, how to get parent buy-in, you know, all of those things. So it's a very difficult uh, challenge that comes with AAC. Do you find that getting those key stakeholders involved in the evaluation process can help? Yes, for sure. Yeah. I, I always like I to have OT involved just to make sure that we're covering everything PT if necessary. And then, yeah, I mean, if I can get the teacher and the parent involved, it's ideal. Yeah, because I, ma- I imagine if the teacher, well, so when I did the same position as you in the school district down here, the teacher was the one that took a lot of the data for our AAC evaluations. And thinking back on it now, if I had a hard time getting the teacher to collect that data, then that's probably a big red flag. And I should probably have started the support more there, right? And the understanding of why we're doing this evaluation. Why do you think this client needs an EAC system? Because the teacher ultimately was the one that had to make the referral. So I don't know if they made the referral and just thought we would provide the system and the client would automatically, or the student would automatically be able to use it. That's probably what was happening. But yeah, providing some of that education early on in that evaluation process is probably beneficial too. Yeah. And teacher buy-in is crucial if if you're in the school system. And I hate to say it, but sometimes you just, just don't get it. And I unfortunately have talked to a lot of different parents that have that have nightmare stories about with teachers not supporting the use of a device or even I hate to even say this about our profession but even some SLPs that are just like for whatever reason they're like oh no he doesn't need that or or they're not willing and then the parents end up changing schools or, or doing homeschooling, which is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they know time is being wasted. So it's like you said, building rapport with that person, but that person also has to want to build the rapport and want to 
yeah. move forward with yeah. the training and utilization of the device. That makes sense. Yeah. You're dealing with humans. This is something I've, we spent a whole episode on is just like, how do you get someone to see the purpose of using the AEC system and adopt it for themselves and make it into a habit? Because it is pretty much developing a new habit. Yeah. And when you can see a teacher that is using it consistently, oh, it's so beautiful, you know, it especially is. when they're using it for literacy and they're is sitting up at the front of the classroom and they've got their device and then they have their core board behind them and they're modeling words. It's amazing. Yeah. I bet that's your favorite part of the day, just walking into a classroom where it's being used. Yeah, I just wish it would happen more. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. Well, Anne, it was so good to have you back on. Did you want to talk about anything else before we wrap up today? No, I think that's probably it. I always enjoy talking about AAC. I know. And I love following you. So if anybody is not already familiar with your page, can you tell them where they can find and connect with you? Yeah, I am at Beautiful Speech Life on Instagram and also on TikTok. And then beautifulspeechlife.com is my website where you can find information about my courses and my membership. Amazing. Thank you so much, Anne. And until next time, I'm sure there'll be next time soon. Yeah, so good to see you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. By the way, have you joined the SSU crew yet? By joining, you get access to the free good section on our website, plus podcast updates, special event notifications, and therapy inspiration. You can sign up at bit.ly slash join SSU crew, all lowercase, or just find the link in this episode description. Also, don't forget to take a screenshot of this episode so that you can always refer back to it and share it on social media if you really love the topic. Take care and remember to always fill your speechy side cup first before you can pour into others.